Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. You're listening to a Zweig Letter Podcast exclusive, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting guru Mark Zweig and his team of experts straight talk in your ear. Mark has more than 30 years of experience helping AEP and environmental firms thrive, and these podcasts deliver his invaluable management, industry, client, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts let you develop professionally, wherever you are. Hey everyone, and thank you for joining Zweig Group Media and the Zweig Letter exclusive interview series. With almost 25 years of continuous coverage of the design industry, the Zweig Letter is a constant in an ever-changing marketplace. We are bringing you some of the best and brightest minds that our industry has to offer. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Dan Knice, President, CEO, and an equity partner of Ames & Goff in Washington, D.C. Dan, it's great to have you join us today. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your role there at Ames and Goff. Well, thanks, Randy. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, I, in addition to being, uh, uh, of course, the executive manager of the firm, I spend most of my time serving our larger clients, so our largest architect, engineer, construction management clients, helping them with risk issues and with their insurance needs. Okay, great, great. So I, I would imagine with everything that's going on, you're, you're probably pretty busy right now. Yeah, it's, it's a busy time. I mean, the industry is, is moving along at a pretty steady clip, as you know. And uh, right now, the, in addition to that, the delivery methods are changing. So people are finding that the industry is more complex than it used to be, which creates quite a few issues. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons that we, we, we asked you to come on here, and, and, and you know, we're always trying to bring on really interesting people that provide some great information and feedback for the design industry is that you're also a contributing a writer for the Zweig Letter. And um, you want to just tell us a little bit about that? I, I don't know how many times you've written for the Zweig Letter, but you have a couple of articles there, right? Yeah, no, I've probably written a dozen times over the last three or four years. We write about four or five times a year, and I, and I contribute most of those articles. And really, it's it's our effort to share our knowledge with the industry with regard to risk issues and what some of the potential solutions might be. And sometimes that's insurance. Sometimes it's risk management. So we try to offer both options. Okay. So now just to kind of break out the two so that we have a full understanding, if you want to ex just explain fully to the audience, especially to some you know, business owners that may not know the difference between insurance and risk management. Yeah, I, I think it's an important distinction. I think risk management should, first of all, always be the starting point for any business person uh, thinking about risk. And, and the idea of risk management is identify the risks that are inherent in your business and come up with action steps that can either eliminate those risks or minimize those risks. So a classic example would be an engineering firm is taking on a project in, in a new field. Let's say they've never done a water treatment plant before 
now they're going to do one. Well, a very classic risk management step in that case would be, let's identify that we've never done this kind of work before. And then secondly, let's joint venture with a firm that has experience in that area. So that's a, that's a risk management step. I have now brought in expertise that will minimize the risk of something going wrong. Insurance is kind of, in many ways, the last piece, but, but a very important piece because insurance is, if nothing else, meant to provide a financial protection or a financial safety net that can protect you if something does go wrong and provide some, again, financial support for the firm. Yeah, well, no, I, I, that and that certainly, I mean, that's a great example and a great uh, explanation of those two. I think that would be, that's really helpful for our audience. Um, now, speaking of what we talked about uh, recently, uh, you and I were on the phone the other day and I was kind of remarking to you about an article that I had just read in the Wall Street Journal. I think it's, um, the title of the article is in the Bitcoin era, ransomware attack surge. And you had recently written about that in one of our TZL articles, um, entitled Don't Get Robbed. I think that was back in uh, July. But, you know, what, can you just talk a little bit about this whole issue of cybersecurity and, and also specifically ransomware and why design firms need to be aware and alert to this growing problem? Yeah, and I'm happy to share our thoughts on that because we've had a lot of experience of late. Uh, you know, the whole area of cybersecurity and network security I think for a few years now, people felt like this was an issue for the large retailers, for the banks, for the hospitals. And what's happened over the last 18 to 24 months is a realization that any enterprise or organization is at risk for one of these attacks. So what's happening is, if you will, the bad guys out there, in quotes, are realizing that in many cases, the softer targets are the mid-size or smaller businesses which typifies many of the design firms and construction management firms in the United States. So what we've seen of late is a couple of things. One is that your system may be hacked and they may be actually compromising your employee information. They may be looking for social security numbers, credit card numbers, uh, uh, date of birth, uh, full names, that kind of thing. So we're seeing more and more of that. And, and again, the issue there oftentimes is the hacking is being done so surreptitiously that you don't even know it's happened. Uh, and then eventually one day you realize it and it's like, oh my gosh, it happened to me. So those kinds of events seem no longer to be a question of if it's going to happen to you as much as when is it going to happen to you. So I think that's a, that whole issue of, again, cybersecurity. Within that, there's a very specific uh, scheme, if you will, underway lately, and that's the whole area of ransomware. And you know, I think the classic example is you come in one morning, you open your computer, you turn it on, and suddenly this shield shows up on the screen where normally you have your emails or your picture, and the shield says, basically, you've been hacked, and oh, by the way, unless you pay me X dollars, you're not going to be able to access your computer until then. And they literally shut you down, and they can do it in a couple of ways. We've seen some ransomware where they literally shut down your entire system until you pay a ransom. We've seen others where they've actually uh, taken uh, or confiscated specific files and said, if you want these files back, you will pay us a ransom. And, and we've seen both uh, examples of that. Interestingly, Bitcoin plays a role in that. Uh, you know, I, I think Bitcoin may have a lot of usefulness in society, but unfortunately, one of the negative uses is it's being used regularly by these, quote, bad guys. 
as a form of payment because it's untraceable. So it's very easy to share payment among parties to a crime without it being traceable on a Bitcoin basis. So we, we've actually had specific examples of this ransomware situation. I think probably the, the most specific example, a client uh, actually based in the southeastern United States working on a project that happens to be in San Francisco. Uh, and, and what we're seeing with that is that uh, they are working on a file that needs to be delivered for a permit uh, on a Monday. Uh, they open up the uh, file Monday morning. They can't get to it. It's gone. Uh, come to find out it had not backed up in their system either. Uh, they get a note saying, pay me $500 in Bitcoin. So after our client, first of all, figured out what is Bitcoin and where do I get it, uh, they finally decided that they couldn't wait and had to pay. They did call the police. The police said, we can't help you. We don't know where the crime occurred. We're not even sure it was a crime, quite honestly, so we can't help you. So they decide to pay the $500. They get back in touch with the, the bad folks, if you will, and they come back and say, well, $500 is not enough. It's 1000 now. Uh, they're worried. They don't know. They think, well, is this going to continue? It's going to be 1000 then it's going to be 1500 then it's going to be 2000 Long story short, they paid the 1000 They got their files back an hour later. Wow. Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean the article when I when I read it I just realized how I mean it, it, frightening that has to be for a business owner. The article referenced um, a large hospital that was probably fleeced for almost $300,000 and I mean I mean that's a lot of money for your average design firm. I mean in the in the AEC industry, I mean that's a lot of money to lose out on. And so 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 in in addition to you talking with firms about ways to protect themselves. What what does insurance look like for this kind of issue? Well, the good news is there is a growing insurance marketplace for so-called cyber or network security insurance. And that's a new thing. Some people would say, well, why do I need new insurance? Why don't I already have insurance in one of my other policies? And you may have some very minor amounts of insurance, typically in what they call the office package policy that a design firm might have. They might provide $25,000 of coverage, but typically that's only going to be for claims by a third party for money. So, for example, one of your clients says, well, because you didn't get that file to me on time, um, I lost twenty-five. I lost more than $25,000. Well, then you have $25,000 in coverage, but that doesn't cover the payment of a ransom. It doesn't cover direct cost of notifying all the people whose inf personal information might have been compromised. So what's happened now over the last four or five years is a whole new form of insurance called cyber network security insurance has uh, formed, and it is available in the marketplace. It's much broader. It provides quite robust protection today, uh, protection that's not available in any other insurance policy you might have. Uh, and we're seeing more and more design firms purchasing this coverage. It's become a very important part of their insurance program. Okay. I, and I'm just curious, I'm, I'm kind of a numbers guy. Do you, do you have any percentages of, of the number of design firms that are insured with this as of now? Yeah, I, I think you have to make a distinction, first of all, between those firms, let's say, with less than five employees. There are many, many very small design firms. Not that they shouldn't have the coverage, too. They probably should. But they may not have the, the, the wherewithal or the sophistication to understand it or just the money to buy it. But let's say above uh, five employees, I would say we're probably at the point now where 50% of firms have, are purchasing the coverage. Uh, and what we're really seeing is about 80% are asking about it. So I think we'll see in the next few months that that 50% number will go to 60 or 70. When you get to firms above 100 employees, 
that percentage of the firms buying cyber insurance already goes up to 70%. So I think more and more architect engineering firms are buying this coverage, and we'll see even more in the weeks and months ahead. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. I I, um, I think that's really that's really helpful um, information, and I know that you know just. I mean, nowadays, I mean, there's just there's so many things within the daily the daily days, the daily work of a design firm. They have to focus on dealing with clients, uh, meeting deadlines. I mean, you know, you just don't think about this kind of stuff. And if you don't have some type of hedge of protection, then you, you could certainly be very vulnerable to these types of attacks. Yeah, I think an important message in that, Randy, is that that people will focus on and they should focus on what are my security protections in my network, on my computers, in my office? That's a very important aspect of covering this risk. But again, the reality is even the best organizations in the world, you've seen where I think NSA got hacked recently, yeah. the National Security Agency, <laughs> right. even they're getting hacked. So that's where insurance becomes important. The other part of it is these insurance policies come with access to expertise, both expertise before you have a loss and expertise after you have a loss. So mm-hmm. let's say you've been hacked and now the media is showing up at your doorstep. These, these cyber network security policies actually include access to a pre-screened expert PR firm who can come in and help you with your messaging. They include access to a law firm. They include access to a forensics uh, technology firm that can help determine whether or not you've actually gotten the bug out. Many of these bugs, many of these hacks are actually replicating. So you think you've taken them out of your system and they show up again a week later. There are all these kind of like time bombs built into them, as I understand it. So okay. there are lots of other services that come with the insurance policy that are an important add-on. And I think for all architects and engineers, they need to realize, again, it's not a question of if they get hacked. It's a question of when, oh, even with good controls in place. Okay. Well, and then, you know, it just begs the other question because I'm sitting here thinking about it. I mean, how much are we talking a lot extra to add that component of coverage or in the grand scheme of things, it's peanuts? It's relative peanuts. It's interesting you should ask, Randy, because I think people have a perception this must be really expensive. Someday it may be, by the way. But today for an architect or an engineer, if you have 100 employees, we probably can get this coverage for $5,000 for a million dollars of coverage. Uh, that's a relatively inexpensive number. Uh, you know, just recently we did it for a firm with about 1,200 employees, and I think the premium was $40,000. So, and that's a big operation. You know, when you look at 1,200 employees and over what 150 million in billings, uh, that's a significantly sized operation. So, right now it's relatively inexpensive, and and that's an important piece to keep in mind too, though that you raise in a different way. If you're Target or Home Depot or Bank of America, you're paying significantly higher premiums. Right. But the one thing for architects and engineers not to lose sight of, the Target hack, probably the first one that really brought this issue to light in the United States when Target, what was that, three years ago or yep. four years ago got mm-hmm. hacked, yeah. that hack actually occurred because a local HVAC contractor in western Pennsylvania was hooked up to, if you will, had been signed into the Target uh, vendor payment system, which is an online system to, to submit your invoices. Yeah. And that HVAC contractor's uh, computer network became the conduit to hack Target. Oh so there, that's another case where having cybersecurity insurance would have been helpful for that HVAC contractor because they would have had access to all these resources and to the money right. to help make Target whole because I'm sure Target went after them a bit too. And oh, said, yeah. Hey, 
their yeah. fault. You're, you're the reason they're here today. Well, you know, I, I didn't know that piece of it. I just know that I because I shop at Target, I I got uh, a, a free credit report for a year and all this other this other stuff that came along with it because of that hack. And, and you know, you don't you don't think of how I mean, a simple situation like that can have far reaching implications. And I think it's really important for us to look at the big picture sometimes and not be so myopic and just focusing on our little business. But we got to think of how we impact the rest of the the business community and and the you know the private community as well. So yeah, very much, Randy. I think that is an issue, and I, and I think the other thing to think with that is that sometimes you can get the numbers don't seem as big to you. But you think about a firm that has two hundred and fifty employees and has a twenty percent turnover rate and keeps employee records for ten years. Well, guess what? Suddenly you realize they actually have 750 or maybe more records on hand. And oh, by the way, each of those records, each of those employees has a dependent or two. And you've got their social security numbers. Well, before you know it, you've now got three or 4,000 records of people. And it, some say it would cost as much as $200 per record to contact people and let them know about the credit monitoring and all that. Uh, well, now you're at a six or $700,000 expense, which is much more than most 250 uh, employee firms can stomach uh, in any given year. So insurance, again, plays a key role in that. The other part of it is the insurance is quite nuanced. There are lots of details that you really need to be working with an expert on. But but one piece of that is it actually includes business interruption insurance. So if you've been hacked, sometimes these hacks are set up, as I mentioned earlier, to be replicating. And I know we've seen this in a local hospital here in the Washington, D.C. area, where they thought they got rid of the virus and it kept replicating itself and kept shutting down their computer system. So in this case, it wasn't so much about stealing information as it was about uh, interfering with their operations day to day. Well, as it kept replicating, they were down for two days. For two days, the only way they could take care of patients was to keep the information manually instead of on their computer system. Think about the lost income that came mm. with that and what that could mean and put that in the context of an architect or engineer right. who could be down for a week or more. And how much is that worth to you? What's the value of a week of time of your employees? Because everything's done on the computer nowadays. Yeah. So exactly. How do you deal with that? So that's another part of the coverage that's very important that is not available on any other policy. You have to buy a standalone cyber network security policy in order to get that coverage. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, earlier, I mean, I was a victim of of the issue with Target and. You know, we went out and got identity theft insurance, real insurance and yep. for ourselves. And, um, you know, I know we, you know, here at Zweig, we have insurance as well. But, yeah, companies, they, we just it's a responsibility that you can't shirk. You have to, you have to take it seriously. And so, I mean, this this is very timely information. So, well, and, and Randy, I think there is there's actually a little twist on it. Again, nothing in insurance is simple, unfortunately. I guess it keeps folks like me in business. Right. Uh, but the, the insurance industry with cyber and network security insurance, that covers the theft of information or the disruption of computer services. There's actually a whole different insurance called crime insurance, also known as employee dishonesty or fidelity bond. Yeah. The three different names are all interchangeable that actually relates to the theft of money. Now, historically, if you go back 30 years ago or 40 years ago, that theft of money was, you know, does my receptionist dip into the petty cash drawer and steal money, you know, five bucks a day and over, you know, 20 years they've stolen $100,000 from me. Today, today what's happening is most of those thefts are either what they call funds transfer fraud or computer fraud, that people are accessing financial information and financial accounts online 
and taking your money. So another important insurance coverage that, that architects and engineers need is so-called crime insurance or employee dishonesty insurance. Uh, and, and when you buy that insurance, you have to make sure it includes what they call funds transfer fraud or computer fraud, because that's what we're seeing over and over again. We recently had a situation down in the southeast, another one, this was in Atlanta, where a firm uh, saw that there had been a withdrawal. Interestingly, a strange amount of money. It was $96,000. Nobody's still quite sure why it was such a strange amount of money. But come to find out, somebody had installed surreptitiously on their computer network a program that was tracking the keystrokes of their key executives. And the, the keystroke tracking device, if you will, or program was able to track the PIN for the wire transfer for this firm. And they were able to go into their bank account, put in the PIN, and actually transfer $96,000 out of the AE firm's account into their account wow. and steal the money. Uh, now, in that case, interesting, a happy ending, I guess you might call it. And that was that the bank was actually responsible for that loss because the account, uh, they were supposed to uh, verify that the PIN came from the appropriate person. They didn't do that. They assumed it came from the appropriate person. And obviously, it did not. So in the end, the bank actually had to make up the $96,000. But that's just an example of how easy it is for people to steal uh, using electronic methods. Yeah. No, I mean, it's sometimes it's overwhelming. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I would probably sleep easier just as any uh, owner of a design firm would, knowing that they have some of this coverage in place. So, Oh, definitely. And again, a typical limit, and we're seeing people buy anywhere from a million to $5 million in limit. You know, we, we haven't really talked about it, but the other coverage that comes with this, if you buy the right policy, and most of these are going to be the right policy if you work with an expert, is the, the loss of intellectual property belonging to your clients. So now think of it differently. We focus a lot on personally identifiable information, social security number, birth date, driver's license number, credit card number. But how about the other approach? I'm an engineering firm. I've designed the physical security plan for the barriers for the United Nations complex in New York. What if that plan falls into the wrong hands? Right. What happens? So now they have to redesign a whole new plan. They have to actually build a new security system, potentially physical security system, that has implications as well. Or you've got, you know, somebody who's doing a retail concept who's not ready to share it with the world yet. So, but you've designed their outlets for them. And this happened to one of the high tech companies a few years ago that that was, they, they were designing them. I don't think what it, what didn't happen is their plans didn't get stolen. But I do know because of the confidentiality agreements involved that they would have been very upset if that information got out. So that's another form of cyber risk, if you will, that is covered by these cyber network security policies, which is the theft of intellectual property okay. uh, belonging to your clients or to you. Okay. All right. Wow, man. That's, you know, so, so let's just stay on this whole theme of, of risk and loss. And, you know, I, I, I was reading an article that's coming out in um, the Zweig letter uh, for, I think, September 16th. And I think you are actually quoted in the article. Um, the article is about San Francisco's tallest residential skyscraper, the Millennium Tower. And there is a $500 million lawsuit that was brought on by some of the residents of that, that tower. Um, you know, and this kind of gets back to the core foundation of your business, which is, you know, we, you, we're in an industry where people are designing the infrastructure of this country. And you know, when you, you're, you're designing things that people rely on on a daily basis. And when things go wrong, it's like, man, you, you, you have to make sure you have your assets covered. 
um, for lack of a better word, or else right. you're going to have a major problem. And, and, you know, this example with the Millennium Tower in San Francisco, I would imagine, is, is, a, is a prime reason to, to never be underinsured, especially when you're doing major marquee projects like this. Well, you know, I, I think, Randy, you've hit it right on. I think it's difficult a lot of times in the day-to-day mix of trying to control expenses and not spend more on insurance, if you will. You know, it's easy to, to decide, you know, I don't want to buy that extra $5 million of coverage, even though the next $5 million of coverage is typically significantly cheaper than the first $5 million of coverage. Uh, but, but oftentimes that's one of those... Uh, you know, penny wise, pound foolish decisions. Right. Because if you do have a major loss, you're going to wish you had that protection. You know, it, it can bankrupt a firm. And, and, you know, we're often talking with our clients about what is the right level. Now, the, the bad news is there is no easy answer. There's not a mathematical formula right. where you can say to somebody, if you do $100 million in revenue, you should have $25 million of insurance or whatever. We don't know. Nobody knows for sure. Because it's so dependent upon circumstances. If all you're doing is, small retail outlets, but you're doing thousands of them, your risk might be less. If you're doing one of these marquee projects, as you described, that is really a, a centerpiece of, of the redevelopment of a, the Soma area in, in uh, San Francisco, you know, now your risk could be a lot higher. So, you know, if you're a geotech, if you're a structural, your risk can often be a lot higher than, than it is for some of the other uh, specialties, if you will. So now having enough insurance is probably one thing we do do and, and many do is we benchmark. You know, we try to say, well, what are other $100 million revenue firms doing that are in the same you know, area of practice that you're in or doing the same kind of projects you're doing? That's not perfect, but it's at least one way to get a handle on, on what could be out there. The other thing to think about is, is to remember that for professional liability insurance and cyber liability, by the way, both, the defense costs, the cost of hiring counsel, of hiring expert witnesses are what they call within the limit of insurance. So when you buy a $5 million policy, that's not only the $5 million you have available to pay a claim and say, hey, here's your $5 million. That also includes the cost of your attorneys, your expert witnesses, or any other defense work you have to do. So in that case, something as complex as that claim out in California, in San Francisco, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars of legal fees alone right. before they even decide who's going to pay a claim or settle or settle the matter. So that also needs to be factored into people's consideration about how much insurance to buy. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time today, but I did want to ask you just lastly, as we, as we get ready to close, what, what are some of the other emerging risks and insurance issues that design firms must be aware of, and you know, today, 2016, what are the, some of the things that you that you could think of? Yeah, I think there are probably two that stand out this year as being different. One is this alternate project delivery. I mentioned it very briefly at the beginning, but the idea that projects are being delivered to clients now under the design build method of construction right. or under the public private partnership method of construction, these P3s, as they will. Uh, as they call them. Uh, that's a very different risk profile and, and the buyer of services is different. You know, when an engineer is working for a State Department of Transportation directly, oftentimes there are very few claims. They almost work in partnership. They, they kind of, you know, they understand each other because it's engineers hiring engineers. But now you're working for a contractor or even more so, you might be working for a private equity firm that's invested in a toll road well, their perception of risk-reward and who's responsible for something going wrong is very different. So that's an area where we're seeing in a heightened focus on good contract hygiene, 
on making sure you have sufficient insurance, that you choose your partners carefully on those P3 or design build projects. The other area that's kind of going to kind of hit the news in the next week or two, even more so, is the change in the FAA regulations around the use of drones. You know, for, for months now, if not years, the architect engineering industry have, have been saying drones are an opportunity, and they are. They're an opportunity to, to uh, conduct work without putting people at risk because they no longer have to climb ladders or scaffolding or, or go up on the side of a, of a person lift, if you will. Yep. We can now use a drone to do that. But with that also comes risk. So the reward is that the rules are being loosened, that more and more business entities and organizations will be able to use drones. The negative is that the increased use of drones will bring risk with it, risk that today is not necessarily covered by the existing insurance policies that are carried by the, the design firms uh, today. Now, most of this can be addressed by adding endorsements to their general liability policy, but it requires, again, a conversation, an understanding of what the risk is, and an analysis of what is the appropriate insurance coverage to protect against that risk uh, when we're operating a drone either on a bridge near a, an active highway or up the side of a building as we're inspecting the facade or the roof of a building or, or whatever else might come up. So I'd say drones is, is the other big area. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, the whole the design build process and drones, those are some of the, the flavors of the year, if you will, in, in insurance and, and certainly um, I think our audience would appreciate that information, and, and I'm sure in the near future you'll probably have some articles that speak more to uh, more to some of those issues and how to combat it. But as I'm sitting here and listening to everything that you're saying, I, I was reminded when you speak speak of endorsements that you know I, I was I was reminded when I was just getting some insurance for myself personally with Liberty Mutual, and you know the the, the insurance carrier told me, look, you know, there's so many things you can add to your insurance. That are you know of a minimal cost, and I and 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 I did, and then I also remember a good friend who is an attorney, a defense attorney, who told me you know in in most cases, both personal and as well as in business, you know getting getting a rider or, or getting some type of umbrella policy is as he liked to say short money for the coverage that you get, and um, I remember when I got my first million dollar uh, umbrella policy, it did make a difference. Thank God we've never had to use it, but the peace of mind is is that it's there. And I think at the end of the day, you're you're bringing some peace of mind to some small business owners that you know. Let's face it, if they did not have this coverage, uh, or you weren't able to go through and look at some of the issues that they're dealing with from a risk of, uh, perspective and help them avoid those issues, they could be out of business like that. Yeah, and I think that's our goal, Randy. Our goal is not, we, we recognize that, that money is of limited supply when you're running a small and mid-sized business. We run a mid-sized business. We're always looking at our expenses. But the flip side is, again, to be careful not to short yourself, to not put yourself in a position where you've now allowed for a potential catastrophe to bankrupt you or, or, or put you out of business when for a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars, you could have insured that on a very reasonable basis. Uh, so that's part of our job is to help people evaluate what is the risk, to understand it, to put a cost on it in many cases by getting insurance pricing for them. And we try to do that on an ongoing basis. Again, not ignoring the risk management side. There is an important role for risk management in all of this, but but you do have to be prepared for the worst. Even with good risk management, bad things still happen, unfortunately. Unfortunately, you're right. And 
you know, with that said, why don't we um, just just for our audience's edification, Dan, why don't you tell them if they wanted to reach you, which is the best way to reach? I'm assuming email. We'll we'll put all this in our show notes for um, this particular video and podcast. But just tell the audience how they can reach you via email if they want to ask questions. Yeah, e- email would be great. And it's uh, D Knice, D-K-N-I-S-E mm-hmm. at AmesGoff, A-M-E-S-G-O. U-G-H.com. Okay. D-C-I-S at AmesGoff.com. Perfect. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that at the bottom of this video, and we'll also put it on our show notes. So that's great. I really I really thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, Dan, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule today to be with us on the Zweig Letter interview series. Well, you're welcome. And again, thank you. And uh, everybody be safe. Okay. As a reminder, all Zweig Group media programs like this one are available in both podcast and video format, free for download on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube, just to name a few places. We'd like to thank you for watching this in video or listening to the podcast by offering you a free copy of the Zweig Letter. Just visit info.zweiggroup.com forward slash free TZL. A link to all of this information will be in our show notes. And we'd love it if you'd share this link with a friend. I'm Randy Wilburn, and you've been listening to Zweig Group Media, part of Zweig Group. Remember, we exist to make you more successful. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to this Swag Letter Podcast exclusive. We hope that you can apply Mark's no-holds-barred advice to your daily professional life. For a free transcript of this or any episode of our podcast, please visit info.zwiggroup.com slash podcast. If you want more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about finance, HR, and marketing your firm, subscribe to the print or digital version of the Zweig Letter online at zweiggroup.com slash publications.